I'm Matt Garrow Fisher and this is the Burn From Within show. Each week I interview inspiring people who have changed their career or life to light up inside. So if you want to get excited about your Mondays, work on meaningful projects and have more time for the passions and people that matter to you, stay tuned. On this episode, I talk to Therese Tuhi from the Byron Bay area of Australia, who is a career strategist to leaders all over the world, helping them to be more congruent and true to themselves so they can accelerate their career through conscious leadership. Now, I hired Therese after having several people recommend her as a coach, and she really helped me unpack my strengths and weaknesses in a much more meaningful way. Now, many of us have done the psychometric tests like Myers-Briggs and disk profiling, but how does this help us when it comes to changing career or even starting a business or a new lifestyle? In this episode, we discuss how psychometric testing can help you in your career development, career change, and finding more meaning in your work using the strength profile psychometric test and why this is a particularly helpful test for career advancement and career change. Jumping into my strength profile psychometric test results and making sense of them. The key differences between your realized strengths, unrealized strengths, learned behaviors and weaknesses and what you can do with this information to have more energy and feel more lit up inside each day. The concept of conscious leadership and conscious careers in having a long-term sustainable career path. And what's the one thing that makes Therese Tuhi burn from within? If you want to pause this episode and follow along even more, you can download my Strength Profile Psychometric Test Results and follow along while listening to the show to understand this powerful self-awareness tool to the next level by going to burnfromwithin.com forward slash strengths. The full show notes and videos of other interviews are available at burnfromwithin.com forward slash interviews. So listen all the way through and enjoy. Therese, first of all, wanted to say thank you for joining me. What was life like a few years ago when you were in, you're in the public sector before you got into coaching, and what made you change into a new career and, and, and be on a new path? That's a really good question. I, I never saw myself as a public servant. I began my life as a teacher, but what was really important to me at the time was that I value freedom. And I thought, what career can I do that I might really enjoy, number one, but number two, have space to be free. And education came forward as being something that was really interesting to me because I got 12 weeks break a year now to do with as I wanted, but I could be really dedicated to what I do during the time. And then I had that lovely sense of freedom. So already as a young person, I was beginning to think about strategy without knowing it was strategy about what do I do? What do I want? How do I get meaning about what I like to do? So I did that for about 16 years. And within that, I took time off. I have two sons. I took time off to be a mum to them because that was very important to me as well. It's not for everybody, but it certainly suited me. And after a few years of that, I certainly needed to get back to work. I went back into teaching and then I started to do some consulting, which really opened my eyes to another way of being in education and being with people. 
and I went to a conflict resolution workshop and I wanted to do some work around that. I wanted to be better at conflict, not just with students, but also with staff. So I went to this career resolution workshop and I did the, the training part of that, but I also trained to be a facilitator. And the reason I trained to be a facilitator in it as well was because I watched these women manage this group of adults and impart knowledge by extracting knowledge from us so that the answers were within us. And they used a really powerful method of questioning. And they showed us really good ways and strategies around resolving conflict. But that was important. What was the most important thing to me was that I fell in love with what these women were doing. That's what I want to do next. That's it. I want to facilitate workshops. That really works for me. I finished my master's in educational leadership. I finished my work as a teacher and it's now time to branch out. It took me a while. I then did enter the public service in the learning and development team in the public service commission. And I got into the the leadership and development team there. And I thought that was a fantastic way to really understand how do I facilitate leadership in Canberra, which is where I was living, in a way that's going to be beneficial to the biggest market there, which was the public sector. I was there for two and a half years and that was more than enough for me. What I really enjoyed was my learning about how everything worked. And then I left. I did a coaching course. I made my business cards and I just hoped to goodness something would happen. And I was so fortunate. I went to the ICF, International Coaching Federation meeting, and a woman across from the other side of the table just started chatting with me and said, come into our organization. We'll have some contract work for you with coaching, which is great. So I became their senior facilitator and coach, and I stayed with them for eight years. And I really learned my craft about coaching and facilitating with them under their guidance. And since then, I've been building my own business. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of fear. It's hard to have the courage to do something that you really want to do. But I think what was really wonderful about that is as I started to then corral my own skill set into what is it now that I want to do, I can facilitate emotional intelligence, I can do teams, I can do performance management, I can do strategy. But that's everything. I needed to hone my skills. And what became incredibly clear to me was the intersection of leadership and career. And it was a real dawning because... I noticed that the best leaders are in a career they love because when they're doing something they find purposeful and that they enjoy, leadership is not nearly as hard as what people make it out to be. Much easier because I'm passionate, I'm engaged, I find meaning in what I want to do and I want to bring people with me. So that makes a huge difference and that's how I've got to where I am now and why I really focus in in a lot of depth on people finding what it is they want to engage in and notice how with that leadership becomes an easier thing. And their acceleration in an organization becomes a much easier thing as well. How does psychometric testing come in then, both from your own personal experience in using it, perhaps in your career, but also with your clients? How can you help leaders and people that want to find purpose in what they do? There's a number of things that you can do with people in terms of the psychometric testing. What psychometric testing does, it gives you an opportunity to answer some questions. You get a chance to answer really targeted questions, really dedicated questions to what the information is that you're searching, and then the algorithms and everything else that does it will feed it back to you. That's the first part. The second part, and this is the critical component that makes it worthwhile, is getting it debriefed by somebody who is skilled in that instrument. Because a lot of the time when we look at the instrument, we can make assumptions, we can bring our own limiting or advanced beliefs about ourselves, we can analyze what we think from our known knowledge about what's going on in that instrument. 
But when we have a coach or a skilled accredited person in that instrument, they will dig deep and they will ask questions and they will watch for how you're playing with the material, analyzing the material and how you're looking at it. And they will ask critical questions to help you expand what that actually means and how that applies in your day-to-day life. And the third part, and I think it's the most critical, any psychometric assessment is a conduit for a conversation. I start, if I'm the client, I stop talking about me and I start talking about the presenting person on the page. And then I can be much more, I can feel a, a sense of security and safety to be able to express myself. And I can tease that information out by looking beyond in, but getting in out by using the conduit of the assessment. And I think that's gold. That makes a huge difference. I think with coaching, coaches often see the blind spots of their clients and uncover talents and strengths that they wouldn't necessarily know about. This psychometric testing, when I did it with you, it was some things I kind of knew, like I was a good listener. I I love building rapport and esteem, but there were some surprises as well. If I just read the report on its own, think I'd have some level of meaning, but to actually discuss it with someone, interpret it and look at that interpretation in different angles, that really gave it a whole new level of depth in terms of how to use it practically in my life, in career planning. When you've used it with your clients, what have been some of the revelations that you've found that they've reacted to? There's a couple of central themes and one is the sense of relief and release people have to be able to fully express who they are. And they say, yeah, I knew that. And they're, they're safe and secure in saying, this is really important to me. This particular assessment that we do, it, it gauges your strengths, so things that you perform well, but also that give you energy. And that's the defining factor. And when people can start to see where they perform well and what gives them energy and then correlate that with what they're doing in their work and say, God, no wonder I'm exhausted every day. I'm doing stuff I'm good at, but I really don't like doing it. It just doesn't do anything for me. And then we can start to look at the strengths that they do have and say, okay, let's just look at where you are right now. How can you bring more of who you are on a daily basis? And so the beauty about the strengths test, they're not going to tell you, oh, you're good at welding or you're good at this or you're good at that. It's not skill-based. It's attitudinally based. It's virtuously based. So when you were saying that you're good at listening and good at building rapport, these are the things that people are looking for at work. What do you bring as a human that can contribute to how we work around here? Your technical skills will be assumed. Otherwise, you wouldn't be applying for a particular job. Your technical skills will get you where you are, but it's these other elements that are going to get you promoted and get you noticed, are going to get you want to having people to want you to be on their teams, and they're going to get people to notice you to bring along with them as they progress as well. So once we start to really understand ourselves and have those revelations, no wonder Matt's a podcaster because he's a really good listener. When you do what you love and what gives you energy, you can't help but succeed because you get into flow. When you're in flow, an hour seems like a minute and a day seems like an hour. And, and when we're doing work like that and people have just gone back to work and started to manage their work around their strengths so that they can bring their strengths to work every day. They don't change the tasks because they can't often, but they can change how they bring themselves to that task and take a different angle from it. And that gives them the freedom to experience a much connected and happier time at work. 
I love that because it gives people the option if you do feel unfulfilled or stuck, whether you leave your career now or in five years time, you can do something now. It's a shift in attitude. It's a shift in how you approach tasks Mm -hmm. that can actually motivate you and actually energize you the way you do it. Just having a conscious understanding of that can be a real key to unlocking you doing your job better and you being ultimately a little bit more fulfilled. This particular psychometric test that you use is the strength profile. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've done it. I know. What in particular attracted you to that psychometric test versus Mm. some of the other ones like Myers-Briggs? It's a couple of things. First one would be that, let me just go to the Myers-Briggs, the DISC, HPDIs and all those. I love those instruments. I use those ones as well. They're really good. No matter how hard I try when I work with those instruments, people still call themselves whatever they came. I'm a yellow or I'm a red or I'm, a, I'm an ENFJ or I'm a D or I'm a, they become it. What I like with the strengths, because there are 60 strengths, you can't become any of it. There's too many. You're not even going to remember half of them, but they're going to rate you from one to, to 60 about where you are. The second thing I really like about the strengths, and this kind of feeds into the first proposition I just gave about how others tend to take on as a mantle or a mantle. With the strengths profile, it is absolutely meant to be free-flowing. So I can do it now. I can do it in six months time. I can do it in 12 months time. And I can see how my strengths are ebbing and flowing depending on where I am right now. For example, a strength can become a weakness really quickly if it's overplayed. And what we talk about in this profile is developing the strength so that it's really useful to you. So you expand it and you explore it and you develop it. You don't overplay it because overplaying will annoy others and it will annoy you. I went to the States and studied some work with Tal Ben-Shahar around positive psychology. You bring positive psychology into organizations. I put a whole lot of people and a whole lot of concepts there. What I love about the strengths is that it helps you lead a fulfilled and a satisfying life. It gets you to engage in what you do. The premise of that is we have spent a lot of time finding what's wrong, trying to fix things, trying to think what's, what's not working. What we're looking at in the positive psychology movement and in the strengths profile is what do you do well? Do more of that. And And then when you do more of what you do, your energy increases. And when your energy increases and you're doing well at what you do, your self-esteem is commensurate with that. Your self-efficacy is commensurate with that because you're having success because you are targeting what works for you. And the more you do that, the better you become at things and the more confidence you start to display. So the reason I really focus on this is one, I get to see if people are using enough of their strengths because it will tell me if they're not and that they're really tired and exhausted because they're working somewhere where it really doesn't help. And two, we can then put in some strategies to help them get back in touch with what it is they love to do, why they love to do it, how they love to do it and move forward with that. So we're getting them from feeling tired and exhausted, really engaged by using their strengths without having to do too much shift at all. That's amazing. The the thing I really love about it is you might have mentioned four different concepts, which kind of show you how much you're becoming energized versus how much you're being drained of energy. So there's realized strengths, unrealized strengths, which are things that give you energy, that give you energy points, if you were. Um, and then learned behaviors and weaknesses are things that you might excel at and your boss might say, wow, you're, you're one of the top performers. But it, it doesn't light you up inside. It, it actually takes energy away from you. And, and every day it eats away 
to the point that you don't want to do it or you want to do it less and less. And that is not a ground for moving towards success and growth. It's actually quite the opposite, even though there's an illusion of you being very skilled and a top performer. I had an example of that when I was working in the public service straight, like properly, I was part of the team that was doing the state of the service report, which is a huge compendium of where they're up to in terms of all sorts of things. Writing is not one of my strengths. I can write, I've done a master's, I know how to do it, but I can do it. I'm reasonably good at it, but it just doesn't give me energy. So I did the job. I got it done. They really loved the work that I did. And they said to me, the year turned over to the next year. And they came back and said, now, listen, you did such a good job last year. We want you to do this again. I said, I just wanted to curl up in the fetal position under the desk. I could do it, but it just didn't light me up. And I was diminishing the more I had to do it because I really wasn't doing the things that I loved which I could be more engaged with and more productive because I got energy from them and because they mattered. So yeah, completely got a 101 example of how you've got a strength, but no energy from it. How can, as a leader, as a manager in an organization, use a strengths profile and, and these kind of psychometric assessments to motivate their staff better, to maybe re-strategize their job? Or could you give me an example of how a manager would be able mm. to use this mm maybe for retention or motivation? I'll give you an example of working with a particular department or a particular organisation. They were going to become redundant. They were going to be moved on and then split up. They felt that their work was critical to where they were working. It was in a health area. They were doing a lot of critical work that they thought mattered. They felt that nobody else could do it the way they could do it and could give it dedicated help. So I worked with them on their strategy to maintain their section, to maintain their division so that they could keep working together and keep this work going. We decided to use a strengths profile and we did that. And we looked at their strengths profile individually. Then we collected it and made a team map of their strengths and of their weaknesses. Now, here was the thing. What was really hurting for the team was the fact that they would walk around the corridors of this large department and people say, oh, I hear you're going to be moved on soon. I hear your section's going to be dismantled soon. And they, they would just drop their jaw and wouldn't know what to say. When we did the team profile and put it up on the screen, what we realized and what the team looked at said, oh, my goodness, one of their strengths was humility. So that's great. One of their weaknesses was being in the spotlight. So now humility is one of the cornerstones of being a great leader. But if you overplay, it actually becomes a weakness where you don't speak up for yourself and hope your work speaks for itself. It doesn't quite often. You have to actually show it and be it. And then the weakness, not wanting to be in the spotlight. So now we have a team of people who collectively were very humble and didn't sell themselves well and hated being in the spotlight. So they're not going to push themselves out there and fight for it. Once they realized that, there was like these light bulbs went on all around the room said, oh my gosh, we've just been sitting back and being passive, waiting for this to happen, hoping that because we do work, good work, people would notice it because we're humble, but they don't. We have to sell it. So what do we now do? And so they then built their strategy into how they could save their units and it worked because it re-energized them into something. They could see how they could change it and they went ahead and did it. Prior to doing the tests on their strengths, they would never have known that collectively they had two beautiful things, but they weren't working for them. So they had to then go about making changes with that. And that was just such a classic example of how the strengths can work in teams and help leaders understand their team more and see why perhaps they're underperforming in certain areas and then build strategies around, okay, so how do we mitigate that with what we do well and pull that in to make sure that we're not in trouble for that anymore and that we can really be productive and produce and get results there. I love that. It's removing a cloud to find mm. these hidden gems like 
humility yeah. and using it too much and finding out just that it's unlocking a small key of you have a voice and actually you can speak up and that really starts to change things not on a personal level but also at an organizational level as well so in terms of career change how have you found the strengths profile and, and psychometric assessments helping there in terms of career one of the the critical things is when I work with people about their careers and they want to make career change, and quite often we are in the habit of getting to the point where we are miserable and no longer engaged in what we're doing, and then we desperately try to find somewhere else, and we desperately seek another job, and we throw resumes this way, and we throw them that way, we try and do something to get out of this miserable place that we're in. When we're coming from that negative energy or that desperate energy, even if we do get to an interview, the, the interview panel can almost smell the desperation in us because we're going, please pick me. And all of that flows against getting the next job. And my goodness, do we still do it? Yes. Do I often get calls? Can you help me with my CV? No, I'm not doing that until we fix the other bits. So the CV is the last thing you need to fix. Your resume is the last thing you need to fix. So what we do with people in terms of using the strengths profile for Chris, first of all, we start to look at what are your strengths? How are you using them? And how are you showing up to work each day with those strengths in hand and making sure people notice what you're doing? How do you do that? And what we need to do is once people start to understand what they bring to their work, where they get their energy, why certain parts of their job right now aren't working for them, how they can mitigate that by using some unrealized strengths that they're not using a lot of and really bring those to the table. I work at getting people to be far more content where they are before they go back on the market. And the reason for that, it's like when your house has been on the market for too long and it's looking a little bit tired, it must be something wrong with that one. And so they just turn over to the next new fresh item. So we take them off. We basically use the analogy, you're getting off the market, you're applying for nothing for the next three months, nothing. And we're going to build on the internal you before we go out with the external you. And we use the strengths profile to get them to really know what lights them up, what makes them work. We get them to stop doing their weaknesses because it's a waste of time half the time and I'll get into that in a minute. And we get them to start building on the capabilities that they have that make it work. We get them to the stage where through a four-step process of working on the inner side of themselves, by the time they come to apply for jobs, they have had such success they often get selected before they need to apply because they're truly engaging where they are. They've changed their belief system around the workplace as it is right now. They've managed to manage themselves within that. They can't change the circumstance, but they can change how they approach it and how they approach other things around that. And understanding who they are from a strengths profile, understanding how their weaknesses might be getting in the way. Then we start to look at other jobs and then we get on the market and it becomes so simple to write your selection criteria, to write your curriculum vitae, to write your resume, because you have full understanding of who you are, what you do well, what are your strengths. You can use the profile to pull out strengths and elaborate on some of the concepts that you're trying to to put forward to say you're skilled in Um, and it makes all the difference and when you get to the interview you've got the language to talk about so you start to use words to help sell what it is that you're going to build into this organization make this organization even better because they've got you within them and working for them it just changes your confidence completely I absolutely love that metaphor as well of getting your house in order. You've put it on the market and it's not ready to be sold and to do some major <laughs> internal refurbishments so yeah. that it, so that you, re- you really are ready. And also this concept of when you go to an interview, people can feel and smell the, the desperation oh, yeah. and there's an incongruence of you applying for, for jobs when, you have, when you're not at that right state and when you... It's almost like it's giving you clarity in terms of this is a real path that I know 
work for me based on these innate strengths that I have that can be developed. We've done a strength profile together. Could we dip into some elements of my strength profile and, and just talk about some of my unrealized strengths, weaknesses, and and learned behaviors, and give the audience a flavor of how they would potentially use a report like this, either for career change or for doing things differently in life, having a different approach. I think, Matt, what you said was gold there, like you picked up on the analogy in the house, but when you do apply for something, you start to apply for something that lines up with your skills, with your strength set. And how often don't we do that? How often do we just think, oh, there's more money in that or there's more this in that or it looks much more prestigious than what I'm doing now. It's got nothing to do with what I like doing, but you know what, that'd be great. So it really brings us right back to tools with that. So what would you like to look at with yours, Matt? Let's have a look at your top three strengths. Listener, connector, and esteem builder. That's right. Yeah, I'm just going to share my screen as well for for anyone watching on on YouTube later on. My top three strengths, listener, connector, and esteem builder. These are realized strengths. Could could you tell the listeners a little bit about the concept of realized strengths and also your thoughts about my top three strengths as well? So we can move into a facsimile of how we actually work together. But would I look at this with Matt when I was talking to you about it. These are things you perform well. They energize you and you use them a lot. They're your go-to family of friends. They're the things that you're going to lean on quite readily. What we're noticing here that if, if Matt wasn't doing podcasting right now and he was thinking, I'm going to be a podcaster, he did his pro with it. There's not much there not to like about that for a whole range of reasons. So being a good listener, being a connected being, so you can connect yourself to a whole range of people to make sure that things work. So you've got that ability. You like to look out beyond and see where the pieces all fit together. Esteem builder, one of the critical components as a strength is to, and again, I'm anchoring this to podcasting because it just makes such sense. And it's an easy way to interpret how this works, is that you're not going to get very far unless the people who you interview feel like you're enjoying their company. And you're not going to get very far if at some level you don't help your audience feel as though they were hearing something really good so you make it work well for them and for everyone else so building esteem in others is a strength that you do naturally taking that beyond work when you're out with your mates and out with your friends being a a kind and generous person and helping people feel good about themselves is just something you do naturally rapport builder fits in with that as well you're able to do the cocktail chat have chats with people talk with people that are needs and will make people feel comfortable very very quickly which is great for coaching and great for the work that you're doing growth so i think part of doing a podcast and part of interviewing people who've got expertise or strengths in things is to help people grow help your audience explore themselves and explore what's good for them and your own growth as well gosh what a great way to really experience the plethora of interesting people out there mm-hmm. to do it this way right there they are right in your living room chatting with you it's perfect adventure it's always a sense i mean you are living in thailand you're moving back to the uk you've probably lived a number of other places you like a good adventure it's not going to be afraid of things so in terms of work, taking on new challenges, if I was to say you weren't doing this and doing something else, someone who had adventures, probably someone in work who would love to try new challenges. If that person was in a very restricted and constructed place of work that didn't have opportunity for exploration and risk-taking, that would probably feel quite hindering. So that would be a lovely conduit for a conversation with a person that's got that. I I was going to say I very much recognize being in uh, positions, job roles, where there wasn't a sense of adventure or growth 
And that really was a catalyst for, for me leaving. And But not being conscious of these strengths and going into that role, I probably wouldn't have taken that role in the first place. So that mm. And that's a year and a half of my life, two years of my life. Actually. The importance of this is not to be understated at all. Absolutely. And you realise strengths, as I said before, whilst Matt performs as well and they energise him and they have higher use, it means that they're because they're his go-to thing, quite often they can become a weakness. And that doesn't mean they go down into the red section and the weakness in that sense. But if you listen too much without offering your point of view, then your ability to be assertive in the workplace might be compromised. So, so it's like the team example you, you mentioned earlier about some of their strength, the collective strength was humility, but actually mm. they were doing it too much. Too much and not yeah. developing it. Mm-hmm. So developing listening is really listening and being in this, really being present for something because we all know that the thing that we love more than anything else in the world is to be deeply listened to. When it happens to us and it doesn't happen to us enough, when it does happen, my gosh, it's a wonderful feeling. We all know it and think, God, I'd love more of that. It's just so delicious. The thing about that listener being your top one, you also at some point have to come back with your own point of view. Otherwise, you become the sounding board for the world. And it can very soon become not to your advantage. What we talk about, and exactly as you said there, these strengths need to be developed and used wisely and judiciously, not overplayed. And then they're always there for us. The risk is overdoing it. Yeah. And, and actually, a lot of the realized strengths that you talked about, I was probably aware of most of them, that they were my strengths. And I do like to be adventurous and listen and connect with people, etc. I'm aware of that. But it's good to know that they are my strengths, but not do them too much to have a bit of a balance. Let's talk about unrealized strengths, which I think a lot of people won't be aware of. And the concept of that and the significance of that versus your realized strength. What's the difference there? The difference there is that the unrealized strengths are what I call slightly below the radar, not completely, just slightly below the radar. So as you can see, the header up there is you perform well, they're energized, but they have lower use. They're not your go-to family. Your go-to family are the realized strengths. That's where you go all the time. When we start to realize that we need to marshal our realized strengths and develop them and use them wisely and judiciously in a really productive way, that gives us room to bring our realized strengths into the repertoire because we make space. We're not just going to the same ones all the time. Now, the realized strengths, basically, you can never overplay them because we don't use them all the time anyway. It's really hard because they're not your go-to dark greens. They're the, the lighter greens that are sitting under the radar just a little bit. So again, you know, yours here are catalysts and courage. Like courage and adventure. I'm not surprised those two are together up the top. If one's not working, the other's certainly right in there doing its thing. That courageous approach to thing, that adventurous thing to challenges. I find that a lot of people have services of strength. That doesn't, but what's fascinating about this, it wasn't until I saw that I also had service there, I realized that I was being on service. As long as I feel I'm of service to someone, I'm really happy. And because like you, it's in one of my unreal, I can never overdo it. I can never overuse it because it just isn't one of those high up ones that I just go to all the time. It's just the subtle one that I can use a lot of. And because you've got it there in this one, again, looking at the work that you're doing now, probably as you compare it to other jobs that you have, you're serving people and serving your audience and serving humanity by spreading really good words to people. So it's a natural thing you're going to do and you can't overplay it. The self-belief, you believe in yourself to be able to do these things. Now, a lot of people I know who are really struggling with imposter syndrome and inability to 
step up to the next promotion because they're afraid they're not going to be good enough, all of that kind of thing. If I look at their strengths and weakness, I could almost guarantee without looking that they're going to have self-belief in, in their weaknesses because it's just not there. When we've got it behind everything we do we can, and you've got adventure and courage then you've got self-belief behind it, you're going to give it a go. I can't imagine as much that you haven't tried that if it's been interesting to you, you've stepped into the arena. It's really interesting for me, self-belief being under unrealized strengths, because I've had quite a few transitions moving from a corporate career, starting my own business. And now I'm really doing a portfolio career of different lines of work. I know I have the level of confidence and self-belief in myself, but I haven't brought it out in the last few months as much as I know I've had it in the past. And just looking at it on that report there and you talking about it, it is an innate strength of mine that I can bring out and I realize I haven't been. For me, it's like a compass for particularly with transitions, with going into new roles, with taking risks in business. It's actually that self-belief is there. I, I need and want to use it more to make good decisions, to take risks and to succeed in business and career. What I love about hearing the way you talk about that, Matt, if I can just jump in there, is sure. that you didn't once doubt it was there. People who don't have it in the in any of the greens doubt it completely. You don't doubt it. So you just, oh my gosh, I've forgotten about that. I better pull that back forward. Let's get on with it. And off you go. That's the beauty of this. It gives us permission of bringing the true part of ourselves forward to do what we need to do and what we want to do and how we need to go to move things, get where we want to be. Let's talk briefly mm -hmm. about learned behaviours and weaknesses. Not necessarily about my ones, but the significance of that when people have done the strengths profile test like this, how could they use learned behaviours, first of all, and weaknesses? On my report, I hear, say, adaptable work ethic, unconditionality and detail for learned behaviours. So what was the significance of them? There's three reasons why we have learned behaviours. So these are things that you do. They're a strength. You can do them. It's, they're, they're right up easy for you, but they don't give you energy. They're actually de-energising. It's what we talked about a little bit earlier when we started our conversation. So there's three reasons why any strength becomes de-energising. The first reason is you're always good at it. You always performed it well, but it never lit you up. It was always de-energised. It's one of those damn things. The second reason is you performed it. It used to give you energy, but you've done so much of it that it's now de-energising. It's slipped down. It's too much. It's what we call the overplayed strengths. And the third reason is that you perform it well and everybody else around you sees how well you perform that. So guess what they want you to do? They want you to do that just like they wanted me to do that state of the service report again because they saw that I did a good job. Let Do it again. So they push it upon you because you perform it. Little do they know because I haven't expressed myself that it just absolutely drains me and takes away my will to live. So that's what's going on there. And if I was to pick out one, and this may not be you, but when I see work ethic and learned behaviours, I ask the people which of the those three do you think that is? Is it something that you perform well and, and you've overdone it? You've been working far too hard than you need to be? Or have you had, you, you're performing, you've got a good work ethic, but everybody else is driving you with so much work on top of you, you're just totally de-energized with it. And that opens up all sorts of conversations about where people are, what they're doing too much of, where they're absolutely exhausted and tired, where they're really at risk of burnout and how to change that. And this is, takes us into another conversation, which is absolutely brilliant for people to suddenly sit back and say, I bloody now understand why this is happening. I get it. 
I know I'm good at it. I know I've got a good work ethic, but I've got so much on my plate right now. I was wondering what was wrong with me. I know I'll drive, but I just feel so tired. Why am I so tired? It's because it's being overplayed. They're doing too much of it to the point where it's diminishing the energy levels. Yeah. And I I totally relate to that. And specifically around work ethic, I've had several employers comment on my work ethic and that's great. But here I am in Thailand running my own business and and doing some freelance work as well. And the reason I'm doing that is because I've craved more of a balance. Mm. And actually the work ethic that I was commended on was draining my energy and I was good at it. And I I did put in the work, but like you said, it was draining energy. And and until I got this on this report and your interpretation of it now and, and before, I didn't really see the significance of that. And ultimately, I think really, for me, it's all about energy levels and, and what really energizes you, what lights you up inside, what makes you want to, to spring out of bed each morning and, and, and do work, whether it's work, whether it's voluntary projects, whether it's anything in life, it's getting that balance in terms of oh, these strengths and behaviors that, that's going to optimize you to succeed. Very briefly about weaknesses, Therese? Yeah. I love the weakness section, not for the ways we used to like weaknesses because it's something to be fixed, far from it. What I love about this instrument, I touched on it earlier, is that if you have weaknesses, and we all do, look at your weaknesses and say, am I at risk for those weaknesses? Will they affect me if I'm not good at those things? And if it doesn't mean a toss to you, get rid of them, forget about them, do not worry about them. One of my weaknesses is adherence. I hate sticking to rules. I like to see quick ways around things. I like to see how we can bypass certain things to get to a better result. But in terms of adherence to the laws and being a good citizen, of course, I'm going to stick with those rules. So it's not a problem to me. I like to just bend a little bit and look for gray. But I, I forget about that weakness. I don't even care about the weakness. My other weakness is detail. I'm useless at detail. And in, when I'm doing programs for people and I'm writing courses and I'm doing manuals and I'm doing all of that kind of thing and doing webinars and so on and so forth, detail is important. Am I at risk? My God, yes, I am. So what I do there is I do the best I can with it for a short amount of time, as much as my energy will allow, because it really kills me to do it. And then I park it to someone else who loves detail. And guess what? They get lit up. They enjoy it thoroughly. They edit everything. They get it to make it look schmick. I get a beautiful product back. It's released me to do what I do well. And it's given them something they love doing. Because some people have detail as their strength. It's really important to them. And so the idea around this thing is if you're not at risk, pay no attention. And I think Marcus Buckingham uses, it doesn't really matter, I'll make it up anyhow. 10,000 hours on a strength, developing what you're good at. My gosh, imagine your energies. Imagine how wonderful you're going to feel. Therefore, you're going to have enough energy to deal with whatever it is and mitigate your risks, mitigate your weaknesses. Spend 10,000 hours for me on detail, for you on planning. Oh, my God. I'll get marginally better because I'm a smart enough person and I'll dedicate myself and I've got a good work ethic. There's never going to be much. It's going to be a growth, but not much. On my strengths, huge amount of growth. Why wouldn't you do that? Then you've got the energy to look after your weaknesses if you need to, if you're at risk at them, not the other way around. And we've always in organizations done it the art. So that's weaknesses. And my favorite part for that reason, and if you are at risk, work it out. My big takeaway from that was, I remember you saying, I was talking about my girlfriend being very good at planning and, and organizing. We, we're actually working together now. It just makes a huge difference. It really does Doesn't in it? terms of energizing you, complementing your skills. And that's very much the case for looking for new roles as well. If these are all very useful questions for you to ask employers about the job, if you didn't know that these were your weaknesses, it's an opportunity for you to ask 
if part of those roles that you're you're looking for have those skills that are really needed, those weaknesses that are needed, and how how you might navigate that as a potential future career. And then you can wrap that up really well. Like I, I have some difficulty with planning, but what I've done is made out five templates that I follow, and that really gets me nailed in planning and gets everything moving forward in a very cohesive manner. So you absolutely tell them you've got a weakness, but in a way that you've shown that you've developed it and mitigated it, and it's going to be useful. And that's what's really important. And also for me, I'm I'm now uh, recruiting more virtual assistants and building a team and all of that kind of stuff is so useful to find the right people to energize me and my business. I know we've got a, a couple of minutes, a few minutes left. Can we talk a little bit about some of your work around conscious yeah. leadership? And um, conscious careers, yeah, both. And conscious both. careers. What, what's yeah. the significance of that in what you offer? Hugely significant. And again, I, I harp back to what I was talking about in the positive psychology movement, the positive organizational scholarship, which is all about virtuous organizations, organizations that put people before profit. One of the things that I've found, and I touched on this at the beginning of our conversation, is that we need to be conscious that every single job we have for us to feel fulfilled and and come home at the end of every day feeling as though we've contributed in some way to the world, the jobs need to be of virtuous value. We need to be looking after the environment. We need to be looking after people. We need to be serving in a way that is productive and helpful and kind and generous in a way that really works. And there's enough studies out now that I think it was the, the book Good to Great. Those organizations did really well over 20 years or whatever it was organizations who have focused on people, not profit, and had a virtual scope about what they did have exceeded those organizations ninefold. And it takes time for them to get there, but when they do extremely well. The second part and the the personal part of this, what's really important to me is that if I find a job, and I've touched on this before, that really lines up with my skill and does good things in the world, I'll be happier. I'll be more fulfilled. I will be more successful within myself and I'll find that my leadership will be much easier because I am doing good work. And there's enough research out there to show that this is the way the consciousness of the world wants to go. And I know it might sound a bit woo-woo, it seriously is not. We just have to look at the situation we've got ourselves into now in the world and then look beneath the surface of that and see those that are really doing well are doing well by caring by contributing, by being creative in what they do, by connecting, by showing compassion to others, which gives them the courage to change things that need to be changed. So it starts from the inside out. So for me, conscious leadership and conscious careers is thinking very consciously about how we contribute, how we're making things better, and that when we move on from this world, we've left a legacy that has somehow made something better for someone else. So we serve a purpose bigger than ourselves. That, I think, is what conscious leadership is about. And it very much, the word sustainability springs to mind from that, not only externally in the world, making the world a better place for longer, the environment for longer, but also sustainability in your career and growth as well. If you're fully aligned with doing things consciously and, and with purpose and, and with good intentions and contribution, you're much more likely to, to stay on and do good and, and have a long-lasting, fulfilling career. Before I ask my last question to raise, how can people get in touch with you get coaching from you, do the strengths profile test and really learn more about themselves and their innate uh, abilities and weaknesses and what they can focus on. How, how do they get in touch? Um, they can look up my website, www.therese.tui.com. 
therese2e.com. They can reach out to me via email, therese at therese2e.com. And then we can have a conversation on Zoom, get to know each other and see how I can be of use to them. So they're more than welcome. They're, they're the best ways. There's, a, there's an, a, a calendar link on my website. So if people want to know more, see more, hear more, just pop on in, book a time. Awesome. And all of your details, Therese, will be on the show notes for this show and on yep. the burnfromwithin.com website. And just speaking from my own experience, I think we met on a course, Therese, and, and I was thoroughly recommended to your coaching by several people and from personal experience no affiliation or or commissions (laughs) involved here but Therese really does listen I know you're talking earlier on about it's amazing when people really listen to you and going through my strengths and and actually really noticing the subtleties of my face movements my smiles like the way my brow raised everything you picked up on and interpreted you helped me to interpret these results in a way that I've never really experienced before from a coach and so very much you can tell the the years of experience you've had in education in leadership in coaching it's very natural it's very it's just ingrained in you so I'm thoroughly recommend you uh, to raise my last so much pleasure absolute pleasure My last question, I see you, Therese, as a person that lives a life with balance, with purpose, certainly, and you give your clients that, and also passion in the work that you do. You really love what you do. Those three elements I call to burn from within, having passion, purpose, and balance. What do you think is one thing that's made the biggest difference for you personally, Therese, to burn from within? One thing that's made the biggest difference for me to burn within. You know, I want to move past what keeps coming to mind, but it won't shift believing in myself and not listening to the stories that were given from everybody else about ourselves, but to absolutely believe in myself and just, just do it. Whatever you think you want to try, give it a go. Someone once said to me, just fail fast. That was the best advice I ever got because I'm all like you. I am courageous and I do like adventure and I do like trying new things, probably too many half the time. Just get in there and give it a red hot go. Know that what you want to do is to to be of service to people. Just love it. I'm blessed with what I've been able to do. I really am. It's not always been easy. And I've had a lot of turmoil in my life, just like everybody else. But my goodness, you just get up each time and get going. Get up and get going. Get up and get going. Now learn from what happened. Don't be too quick to be resilient because often people who are too quick to be resilient haven't learned anything. So stay with it for a little bit and then move forward. And move on again and move on again. I don't have one word. I'm so sorry. I have a lot. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Even more tips. No, I I think there's other guests that have been on the show that have also mentioned self-belief as the thing that everyone goes through challenges and wants to be resilient and there's obstacles along the way of any career or business that you build. But having that self-belief that you can do it, that drives you forward. Oh, absolutely. And and that's huge for me as well. Well, thank you so much for sharing the wisdom, for giving some insight into uh, psychometric testing the strengths profile we dipped in a little bit into my own personal psychometrics assessment report yeah, and that was lovely and really fascinating conversation thank you so much and yeah i'm sure we'll be in touch very soon and thank you so much for those kind words it's lovely it's just lovely to hear i really appreciate that will keep me going for quite some time <laughs> <laughs> thank you no, I, I really mean every word What an awesome conversation, and I hope it's been useful for you in beginning to explore how awareness of your realized and unrealized strengths, learned behaviors and weaknesses can really make the difference to 
between feeling totally drained and burnt out to feeling lit up inside and burning from within. If you want to explore your strengths profile, book a free consultation with myself by going to burnfromwithin.com forward slash call, C-A-L-L, and we can discuss it privately in a free 20-minute consultation. And if you found this podcast helpful or inspiring, please leave me a review on the podcast platform you use, subscribe for more interviews, and share the Burn From Within show with your friends. Until next time, live with passion, purpose and balance, and burn from within.